day and welcome to the Products of Grace podcast, a podcast by Mercy Hill Church. My name is Lawson Harlow, and with me today I have another one of our elders here at Mercy Hill Church, Don Terrell. So Don, what are we doing today? We are going to take some time with you and get to know you better. Uh, I was sharing uh, with you the other day when you asked me what we were going to do, and I said, uh, well, there's things about you that I don't know. Um, I said, you know, a lot of our time is spent together. I know you, and I know you well, and I, I shared with you, you're a very endearing fella, and your reaction was just that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I said, you know, most of our time spent together is based on theological conversations, which is obviously vitally fruitful. For sure. Um, but I don't necessarily know personal details, you know, things of which uh, as you grow deeper into friendship with people, like what is it about them that, uh, you know, just details of their life, right? Yeah. And it was interesting because the timing, uh, you said that your wife had just asked you uh, a certain question. Do you remember what this is? Yeah. Share. Share. So... Beth asked me, Lawson, when was the last time someone asked you a question about you? And I was like, well, what do you mean? I said, people ask me questions all the time. I said, and she said, and she said, no, 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 no. They ask you what you think about certain theological things, not like about you. Yeah. So when you asked me what we were going to talk about a few days ago, it was after Beth had said this. And my plan today was, again, to ask you more personal questions, uh, you know, things, details about your life. Um, But... I think when we near the end of our time, I, I can't resist. We will maybe talk about a few theological points. So we're going to talk about if dinosaurs were on the ark, possibly. <laughs> so we're going to cover a lot of ground. So the premise to today is personally, I often wonder: to do people take the time to get to know you as their pastor? Uh, so not only you're an elder, but you're a teaching pastor, and you're one of the uh, folks that uh, you know minister. Uh, more intimately to those uh, in our congregation. And so is that often one way, right? Yeah. I think, so sometimes it is, sometimes it's not. Um, More often than not, people amidst, so normally I walk into situations, if I'm doing ministry one-to-one, if I walk into a difficult situation, it's not really the time to get to know me. Right. Um, And so sometimes that happens, but most of the time, People get to know me in just normative interactions. Um, I actually really appreciate our, our congregation does a good job of treating me like a person. Um, where in the past I have been treated more like a an asset, like, yeah. I, like I'm just something to have in your pocket. I'm your Google, a tool. Yeah, yeah, I'm a Google, and uh, and so. But I, I really do feel like inside of our congregation, people do have a desire to actually know who I am. Uh, and, and I don't I don't fault anybody for calling me and asking me a theological question. I, that's that's what I'm here for. And so I think our congregation does a good job of that. Well, so I was thinking about the time spent today and just, you know, recounting our own relationship and thinking about, you know, have I been specifically intentional about investing time outside of just theological matters, right? Yeah. Like getting to know you. And so there's blind spots, if you will, about like who you are as a person. And so specifically I was thinking about Acts seventeen twenty six, the verse where it says, and I'll quote, And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place. So for me, I'm, I'm interested, and I, I think the, the audience would be interested as well, to specifically learn about all that God has ordained and used 
such as the people, the boundaries, and the experiences of your life to shape you into who you are today. Okay. So with that, buckle up. (laughs) (laughs) So here we go. Okay. What is your favorite sitcom? Oh, gosh, The Office. Certainly. Yeah. So I I think you and I have shared... Easy, easy question. Easy top one. So you and I have shared some laughs about a particular quote. So I'm going to start our interview with (laughs) question number one. Who who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? (laughs) (laughs) But more specifically, what is your full legal name? Because you do, in fact, go by... Your middle name, correct? Yeah. My, okay. My full legal name is James Lawson Harlow. Okay. Are you named after anyone in, in your family, you know, like legacy-wise? Really, I really don't. I, I know James is a family name, but okay. I really don't know where it comes okay. from. All right. Lawson came from, I think, one of my dad's uh, close friends at the time. Okay. But I All really right. don't know. All Most right. people assume it's because my dad is a lawyer and I'm Certainly. his son. Right. Yeah. As Providence would have it. Absolutely. So, how old are you? I am 30. Currently. Just turned 30. Okay. Your birthday? July 6th. Okay. People are going to steal my identity from this podcast. <laughs> I know, right? I'm not going to ask you your social security Please number. Please don't. <laughs> uh, where were you born? I think I was born in Grenada. I, I assume I like was. At a, uh, yeah, is there a hospital think, there? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Do you know the name of the hospital? Uh, now I think uh, the uh, Ole Miss took it over, or the university took it over. Gotcha. I don't, I don't okay. know what it was before that. Okay. So um, who are your parents? Um. So my parents are uh, Connie Poss and Rusty Harlow. Okay, brothers and sisters. Oh, um, so I have I have a uh, I'll go how do I do that? I'll go top to bottom. Okay. So I have an older brother. Um, he's nine years older than me, Kent. I've got an older sister, Lauren, um, and she's six years older than me. And then I've got a sister who's three years older than me, Catherine. And then I've got um, two brothers, uh, Pat Jake, who's um, uh, two or three no no he's 20 21 uh, and then I've got a, another brother Patrick who's about to graduate high school or graduate high school just gotcha. graduated okay um, speaking of birthdays tell me about your best birthday party my best birthday yeah, party where was it who came like you know just so my best birthday party this is weird this is an interesting one um, so when I was 10 maybe turning 11 we had a birthday party out at my grandfather's land, and so we used to go out there and ride foilers and all that. And we had, like, a, a shaving cream fight and oh, all wow. of that. It was super fun. Huh. That was forever ago. And you were how old? I was turning, I was turning 11, Gotcha. I think. Yeah. Um, or 12. Maybe 12. I don't know. So self-assessment, what were you like growing up? I was like awful. Adolescence. I was awful. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, mean? yeah like, my parents could probably uh, – um, strong-willed – uh, smarter than everybody else in the room, so I thought um, I was always willing to uh, to challenge any position. Which some of these things are still true. <laughs> um, like my third grade, my third grade teacher, Miss Robinson, always used to. It was weird because it was she found it endearing, but she was also like, "Stop it," which is I was just incredibly curious, and so I asked questions nonstop, and it used to stress her out. Um, but. Yeah, I mean, I, I had some major insecurities when I was growing up. So, like, after after I got out of chemo, I, I just, I had some, you know, I had every, like, like the insecurities that every young man has as he's growing up. I was somewhat arounded at that point. And, what does that mean? Uh, what does that mean? I, was, I was a large little man. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Huh. 
Uh, so the other day when you were out on the phone, I mistakenly labeled, you mentioned chemo. So for those list, in the listening audience that don't know, um, I mislabeled your cancer and called it leukemia. Right. And uh, you quickly corrected me. Yeah. So uh, what kind of cancer did you have? So I had Ewing sarcoma. I was diagnosed with Ewing sarcoma in like May of 2000. And how or old 2001. Was, how I was old 10. Was 10? Okay. I was 10. Um, how long did you have it? Well, I mean, so like I was in treatment for a year. I had okay. I had 17 rounds of chemotherapy, and I had 31 days straight of radiation. Okay. Um, not straight. I had a break on the weekends. Okay. But um, but and so, the yeah. type of cancer is that like a blood cancer or no? It's a um, it's a solid tumor that okay. grows in the bone. Oh. Okay. And so I had uh, a tumor that grew inside of my fifth lumbar, and the way we found it, which is actually so, this type of cancer normally grows. Um, grows inward and if it grows inward you don't find it right um but praise the lord mine grew mine grew out and it essentially grabbed that nerve that sciatic nerve so if Uh you ever had sciatic pain Uh um it grabbed that nerve and began to put pressure on it and we found it because it was just incredibly painful gotcha yeah um so with helping me do the math how long have you been in remission um remission was 2001 may of 2001 um, so 19 and so years. Yeah, yeah. Almost, almost 20 years. Um, describe for me the day you found out your diagnosis. Oof. So first, some of this is lost to time, right? Certainly. Yeah. You so, said since then. Yeah. So I was, so I was 11, no, I was 10 at the time. Um, so we, my dad had, uh, and this is just, this is my dad to the letter. We, um, there was a hospital in Jackson that was supposed to see us. My dad and I went up there every day um, until they would see us because they couldn't fit us in for like three months. And so my dad's like, no, you'll see him mm-hmm. rapidly. Right. So eventually we got in. Then then we made our way to St. Jude. The day they told me, the day the doctor told me is different from the day my dad told me. My dad told me we were playing golf in, uh, in Grenada. And then when the doctor told me, it all kind of set in. I was just, um, you know, as a... As an 11-year-old, if you want to hear my arrogance, by the way, um, as a 10-year-old, I remember uh, the year before, the math-a-thon, you remember math-a-thon? Mm-hmm. So math-a-thon was coming through, and I remember thinking, I'm not doing a math-a-thon. I'll never benefit from the money that's given to St. Jude. Literally, I'll ne- I will never forget thinking wow. that. Third grade, hmm. that's that's the that's the level of depravity that was in my soul. Um, <laughs> you are the center of the I, I, I <laughs> of my right. And, uh and so, laughably, right, then I'm yeah. sitting in St. Jude, right. and uh, he told me, the doctor, who's a giant, uh, told me that I had cancer, and I remember immediately thinking, I'm going to die. Mm-hmm. That, was, that was the immediate thought, and I, um, and so, yeah. So, what were the, I'm sure, litany of emotions, but the ones that you recall most, what were those emotions that you experienced, you know, throughout the time of your treatment? I had not an ounce of despair throughout my treatment. Um, I had around me people who loved me dearly and cared for me after we got going, um, with treatment and stuff like that. I was, I was very optimistic. Um, the, uh, the, the way that even through that time, the Lord kept my, I mean, I I played tennis. I went to high school. I mean, I went to, I went to, uh, upper elementary school. Mm -hmm. No. Yeah. Upper elementary school during those days. I had a teacher who was always so, I had two teachers actually, they were always so encouraging and loving to me during those days. I mean, I, I and I may be wrong, my parents could probably give a better answer to this, but I, I, 
I felt well loved and well taken care of. Um, so for those listening and myself, you know, there's lots of things that happen during seasons of our life, but specifically like, you know, I remember where I was standing on nine eleven. Yeah. Um, I remember where I was when the space shuttle exploded. Yeah. I was actually watching that as a child, I believe, in in elementary school. Yeah. Um, I would imagine the day that you found out that your cancer was in remission. Yeah. You know, may, maybe something like that. So, th- like, do you do you recall that in the same manner? Like the day that it yeah. was defeated. Right? No, that's interesting. I re- so it's not as dramatic in my okay. mind, but I remember the day. So at St. Jude, you have a Nomo chemo party. Okay. Yeah. So you get a shirt, and they bring you a cake and okay. all of that. So, I so they help you recall that. Like yeah. Put a stake yeah. In the yeah. Ground, absolutely. Right? Build a pillar. Yeah. Like, yeah. We're and so like I had a shirt. I don't know where that shirt is. I'm sure my mom still has it. Hmm. Um, but yeah. Um, speaking of days to remember, oh gosh, um, tell me about coming to saving faith in Christ. So specifically, how old were you? Uh, you know, and, and also I want to know like how like how were you exposed to the God to yeah. the truth of the gospel? Did your family go to church? Like, so, so tell yeah. me, describe that for me. So I, I often tell people that I'm a gypsy baby when it comes to church because um, I was. Spent time in the Episcopalian Church, spent time in the Methodist Church, and spent time in uh, a ba- in the Baptist Church. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I was exposed to the gospel. I guess um, I, this is not an indictment, by the way, on any minister that I had during those days of my life. I had one pastor named Bob Self, um, who was probably the most influential pastor as I was growing up, and that was just because he was an excellent pastor. Um, mm-hmm. he, he loved he loved us, and there was no question about it. I remember him being in my house. Um, I remember he, he had just taken the position as interim pastor at the church I was at when I was diagnosed, and he was at the hospital the next day. Mm-hmm. Um, those are hard to come by. Mm-hmm. And uh, But I will say I don't, I don't have any moment of like gospel application from him specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just probably because I was too, uh, too unregenerate to pay attention to him while he preached. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was, it was when I was mm, 15 years old, a guy who's still in ministry in, uh, in Mississippi, a youth pastor named uh, Andrew Mahan, and he uh, began to spend time with me. I thought that I was already converted. I was not. Um, you know, people people are always trying to like figure out. Oh, was I actually converted when I was six? Because that's yeah. when I was baptized. I, I knew that I was not converted. You could look at any area of my life, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and so what I what I saw was the way that the gospel really does transform someone's life, and it was that that indicated to me that I was not in Christ, mm-hmm. um, and I could not give you an exact moment of conversion. But um, the way that I always think there's there was a moment when I was playing baseball. I was a terrible baseball player. Um, and so they put me in the position that does nothing. So I just like stood there and contemplated the universe, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I remember walking off the baseball field one day and thinking I'm different. Hmm. Um, and the next day I woke up and I loved the Lord. Uh, like my my mouth was always about the most ungodly thing about me. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I watched the Lord kind of purge that quickly, which I was surprised by. Uh, and then obviously I had my normative wrestling with sin as I grew in grace, but it's about yeah. 15, 16 years old. Yeah. So the reality then became you were being saved. Yeah. 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 Right. Because that's yeah. active and continuous. Um, so mentioning family, right, in, in the yeah. previous question about where did y'all go to church, were, were you, 
were, were you active as a family in church growing up? So my, um, my stepdad uh, is the son of a uh, pastor. Um, and so he, my mom and him married when I was, I, I mean, I guess three or four. I, I can't recall a time where he wasn't in my life, okay. right? So his influence was really what brought us all into, into church. Um, and so, I mean, we were, and we still laugh about this because we were, we were at church every time the doors were open, right? Sunday morning, mm-hmm. Sunday night, mm-hmm. which uh, my mom and I joke about this often because I despised Sunday night church. I don't want to go back. Did you grow up going to church training? Is that what you called it? What's church training? So I think that's what we called it back in Discipleship the Discipleship training? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. no, no, no. Because that was before service. I did uh, on, on Sunday, Sunday night. night. No, no, no. Yeah. I never did that. Never okay. did that. Okay. Um, I'm sure my parents did. I, I didn't. Um, but, you know, I did I did Sunday school. I did all that. And like I said, I went back and forth from the Baptist church to the Methodist church at this point in my life. Mm-hmm. And um, and so, yeah, we were we were all heavily, I was heavily involved in both. Um, and... Uh, and so, yeah, actively involved. Yeah, so um, for those listening and myself, right, we would pick up that early in our conversation that, you know, your uh, parents have different last names. Yeah. And then you just mentioned uh, a stepdad. Right. And so, obviously, um, you've experienced brokenness, right, in an immediate family. Yeah. Um, having experienced parents divorcing, what would you say to someone, believers and non-believers alike, about the negative effects of a broken home? Like, and I realize, like, you know, you, there's definitely some blessings there, right? That yeah. you just mentioned about yeah. uh, a stepdad who, you know, led and led well yeah. and involved in church. But you know, just and it sounds like it happened young because yeah. you just got done telling me that I, I had no clue. Yeah, that you were three. Yeah, so. Do you have a, do you have a comparison at this point? I mean, from a life experience that you would be able to address, you know, myself, the audience, believers and non-believers alike about stay married, right? Here's the warnings. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, so there there are things that that I know that I missed, but I didn't experience I'm missing them, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. there wasn't a moment where I asked the question. At least as far as I know, there wasn't a moment where I asked the question like. I'm going to bed at night and I'm asking where dad is, mm-hmm. right? Like, I, I don't recall that. I'm sure that my sister might, she's a little bit older than me, so she might have that experience. I don't. Um, and so, you know, there there are little things in life that, you know, knowing that it has an effect and actually experiencing that is a mm-hmm. different animal. Mm-hmm. And so I, I wouldn't, it would be hard for me to say that, and it really would be hard for me to say that I've experienced brokenness mm-hmm. because I really didn't. Mm-hmm. And my parents, um, is maybe as odd as this is to say, they divorced as be, about as best as you could. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my dad's an attorney, so he handles divorce often. Um, and he was just bound and determined, and, I, and my mom was as well, to not rip our, to not rip their children apart. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, this is laughable. My, my family, from the time I was, as far back as I can remember, on Christmas morning, my dad and his family would come over on mm. Christmas morning. We would have Christmas breakfast together, mm-hmm. everybody. Mm. And, and so they, they did this the best way that anyone, I, I would almost say anyone has ever done it. Right. Um, so your warnings would probably, and this is interesting yeah. just to know this about you, that your warnings would come probably more so from the well of Scripture than it would a yeah. well of life experience. Because yeah. it sounds like that a yeah. blended family was 
put together as best as best. Oh yeah, could. absolutely. And there and there's strange things that have recently hit me. Um, so like, I put rowing down at night, and I think, come hell nor high water, you couldn't pull me away from this. Mm. Um, and so there there's some things that 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 have recently made contact with me. But I will say this, and I, I imagine this may be a question, but um, ways that the Lord redeemed that for good. Um, you know, I, I have an example in both of my, both of my dads, both, I mean, Randy, my stepdad and, uh, Rusty, my dad were both my best men in my wedding. Hmm. Um, and so I have had a very unique upbringing to see, um, excellent and godly characteristics in men that are distinctly displayed um, that, that most people don't get. Right. And so I, I had two excellent fathers. Um, and that's, and look, in our world, you, you don't, you normally don't get one. Right. Um, and so the Lord was very kind. I, I got to watch good men do, um, exercise their life in a good and godly way to learn yeah. from. I've heard people describe things of that nature, right? Beauty in the midst of ashes. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, obviously I know you're married. I am. But for the listening audience, um, Tell us your bride's name, and I guess the best way to ask that is, who does she think she is? Who does she think she is? <laughs> um, so Beth uh, Elizabeth, her middle name was Morrow. It was a family name. So okay. uh, her maiden name's Abney, which I am giving you everything you need to steal my identity. Um, so, <laughs> so uh, yeah, Beth, we uh, we met at Delta State. Um, well, you're now you're taking my next question. Oh, I'm so sorry. How I'm did sorry. you meet? Where? Describe the pursuit. Okay. And how long did you date? Okay. So we met at Delta State. We met, um, this is, <laughs> so we met in biology class, but I don't count this as our meeting, but this is literally our first exchange. Um, I had excellent teachers in high school, so I'm sitting in biology 101 in college, and they are covering things that I have already learned. And, uh, and I'm, so I'm sitting on my phone playing a zombie game, a zombie shooting, you know, kill the zombies mm-hmm. game. And Beth, in front of me, who I've never met at this time, turns around and says, can you please be quiet? I'm trying to learn. And did you have a beard at the time? Of course. Okay. Yeah. I, I'm just, I'm painting yeah, my yeah, picture, yeah, paint, right? Yeah, paint your picture. Um, and so she looks at me and says, please be quiet. And that was that was our first one. And I remember thinking. How dare you? Exactly. How dare you? Who do you think you are? <laughs> yes. um, and so uh, that was our first interaction. And then... My, uh, our, our relationship developed, um, through the Wesley Foundation at Delta State. Uh-huh. So the Wesley Foundation is the Methodist branch of, camp, right. of campus ministries. A guy named Eddie Willis was there and he was awesome. And we spent a great deal of time together there. And then uh, we went on a whitewater rafting trip and we were in the same raft. Um, and through it was, that same ministry connection. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and it was really in that boat that I was like. Hello, lady. Yes, yeah. And I was actually dating someone else at the time. Interesting. Yeah, I was... I won't chase that rabbit. Yeah, please my don't. Ne- my, next, my next question is, tell me your engagement story. So how long did you date, right? Was my so we dated, we dated for probably a couple, like six months or so, yeah. and then we broke up. So um, I, was moving to, I was moving to Mid-America to go to school, to go to seminary, and, um, and we had just, just kind of... It was just what was best at the time. It was for us to separate. It was kind of those things. We're not about to get married. Uh, we're not. I, I didn't think we were dating super well, um, and uh, and so I was like, let's just let's just take a break. And uh, I knew this is this was odd about it. I knew that we were going to get married. 
Um, and so, uh, and Beth, uh, so anyway, we broke up uh, about a year later. Um, I showed, I showed up, uh, I like knocked on her door. I didn't, she didn't know I was coming. Um, and I like knocked on the door and was like, are you ready to pick this back up? Um, and her exact words, which Beth is, Beth is so much more godly than I am. Um, her exact words were, yeah, I've just been waiting for you. Yeah, she's awesome. That's beautiful. Yeah. Um, and and so then we dated for four months, got engaged. I'll, I remember asking her dad if I could marry if I could marry her, and uh, and I still to this day, I have never told him this, but I think well now he'd, he'll probably hear it. But um, but I remember like proposing like like two weeks later, and I still think he was taken aback by that. I think he was like, "Oh, you're going to marry her later on," mm. and I was like. No, no, no. There's no immediacy. Yeah, to yeah. It. When I when I when I come and ask you, like, right. we're getting married tomorrow, right? And uh, and so, so yeah. your engagement story setting. Where was the place? Did you surprise her? Uh, oh yeah. So um, I had kept a journal, um, and in that journal, this was just a, a way for me to honor my wife before I met her. I kept a journal, and I wrote, um, I wrote notes to her in those for, I don't know, the better part of a year or two. And, uh, and so when I proposed, I bought my, I bought the ring from Golden Diamond International in Memphis. And if you don't buy your rings there, you're insane. Um, and, uh, and then I just, so the last thing I wrote in that journal was about buying the ring. And, and I think any man can understand this. You have this love for your, uh, for your girlfriend, assuming that it's moving into a good direction and there was something about buying that ring that kind of let a flood of a flood of affection out, um, because at that point it wasn't oh well, we're trying to figure out it was this is my wife, mm-hmm. Lord willing, and so um, bought the ring, went and proposed, and I uh, met her out at Bear Pen Park in at Delta State. Um, as in the key to good romance is deceit, so I got one of her friends to lie to her and okay. tell her that it, it just is, yeah, it certainly. is, and um, and so we met out there and I proposed. Nice. So she um, said yes. how long were you engaged before you actually walked Four out? months. Four months. Um, I would have done it faster if I could have. Okay. So when is your anniversary and how long will you have been married? December 15th. Okay. Uh, we got married in 2012. So we're coming up on eight years. Okay. Um, change of direction. Okay. Death row meal. Oh, wow. Death row meal. My mother's pot roast. Oh yeah, yeah. What's all in that pot roast? I have no clue. I'm fairly certain. I mean, there are veggies, or it's just the meat. No, so it's it's the pot roast and the rice and gravy that come along uh, with it. Okay. Yeah, it's it's literally. I I really think that it's it's pot roast, but it's essentially various forms of condensed uh, uh, soups in it. Okay. It's like eating that. It's just amazing. Awesome. Would that be the only element of the meal? I mean, are we having... I would gorge myself on the rice and gravy. <laughs> yeah. So no drink, no bread, no dessert. No, nope, I just want that rice and gravy. Okay. All yeah. right. Um, most recent book you've read? <laughs> I wish you wouldn't have asked this. So, um, read or finished? Um, I'll let you decide. So I'm reading three books on... I have to say this because I'm about to tell you what I just finished and I'm and you're going to judge me. Um, so <laughs> I am the rest of our yeah, audience. <laughs> yeah. So um, I'm reading three books on Jonah right now. Okay. Uh, and those have been good. I'm reading The Existence and Attributes of God by Stephen Charnock. Okay. And I just finished uh, The Lord of the Clans. 
Okay. Which is a World of Warcraft novel. Okay. And did you just answer this? You may have given me this answer. What are you reading currently? Yeah, that's, that's Those what are I... Those three yeah. Jonah books? Yeah. Um, favorite fiction book? Um, favorite fiction book? Uh... Just to be really honest, as odd as this is, the last book I read was just phenomenal. Oh, really? Yeah, and so uh, and the name of it again, the Lord of the Clan. No one's gonna okay. like it if you don't if you don't if you don't follow in the footsteps. Of yeah, this yeah. It's it's about it's about my favorite character in a certain universe, and so okay. So um, the last time you've cried, uh, the last time I cried was when we all, uh, after being separated for a couple of weeks for COVID, gathered in the parking lot. Um, and that was just because it was two things. Number one, it was a joy to not preach to a camera. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was awful. And the other thing was, it was also it was so bittersweet. I was able to look at everybody, but I had to look at them through windshields. Right, right. Yeah. Um, you had shared with me before that your weaknesses are your greatest strength. So is it true that you work too hard, you care too much, and sometimes you can be too invested in your job? Is this, <laughs> this, is this real for you? <laughs> Beth would answer all of those yes, probably. No joke. Nice. That's hilarious. Um, Coffee for you. Is it a pleasure or an addiction? And, and you know, you and I, in a lot of conversations, we always say both and. Yeah, I think think it has to be a both and. I I don't need the caffeine, though. Right? Like, I don't drink it for the caffeine. I drink it because I, it's just like, if I'm going to do something, I might as well do it with coffee in my hand. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, share with me your journey to becoming pastor of Mercy Hill Church. Specifically, what were the events which led you to be a church planner? Oh wow! The first, the first thing that happened, and I didn't, I didn't know this. What it, this, what was this was what was happening in my life. So I preached a sermon. I don't know when the first time I preached. I preached it multiple times. So I, I, I don't think sermons are one shots and done because God uses the scriptures multiple times, Sorry. right? And, um, but so I preached a sermon or prepared a sermon on Acts 2.42. Um, when I prepared the sermon on Acts 2.42, which is they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread and to fellowship. Um, when I preached through that, I realized I had never been a part of a church that, that made that their central theme. Um, that's not an indictment on the churches that I was at beforehand. I love them. I'm grateful for them. But I want it. But, but I... As I was reading that, I said, I want to do four things well. That's it. I don't care about anything else. I want to do four things well. Um, and that happened really early. That happened when I was, I prepared that sermon probably when I was uh, in my first two or three years of ministry. Um, and from that point forward, my um, my perspective on the church shifted dramatically. Um, then when Beth and I moved to Memphis, we served at a, at a large church in the Memphis area. And while I was serving at that church, I got to see everything I, I do not want the church to be. Um, and that was a painful, that was a really painful, difficult season. Beth told me to quit. We had no income at all. Um, and Beth told me, quit your job. It's sucking the life out of you and I don't want to go to church there. Wow. Um, and then I began to fill pulpits. And in filling pulpits, I found myself at a small church in, uh, in Clarksdale, Mississippi. And that's where I learned to be a pastor. Hmm. Um, just uh, a, a doctor named Dr. Burke um, 
loved me as a 24 year old mm-hmm. and uh, taught me a whole lot. He, he, he'll probably never know how, how dramatic uh, his less than a year mm-hmm. love of me uh, had in my life. But uh, then I came back up here and was working at a church in uh, it, Longview Heights and uh, Don and Kay Carson, uh, Kay looked at me and said, I think you should consider church planting. And they they write some materials, don't they? Bible study? Am I thinking about the same? So Kay's very active in in teaching. Don's okay. taught Sunday school forever. Okay. Um, precious, precious saints. Uh, and you know, Stefan is their son is a oh, that's right. church that's planter. Right. I, yeah. I, I was trying to draw the connection there. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. And uh, and so uh, Kay looked at me and said, "You should you should think about church planting." And I said, "No, right? Like I." Uh, Hard pass, and I tell people to this day, I do not have the skills necessary to be a church planter. Um, but from there, I had three or four people say the same thing to me, all different. And then uh, a mentor of mine recommended me to uh, Jason Ford at the point. Mm-hmm. And uh, when when Doctor Doctor Mahoney, who I'm speaking of, when Doctor Mahoney said you should do this, that's when I said, okay, I'll give it a go. Hmm. Um, that, that's how I, that's how I ended up there. So, um, how old is Mercy Hill? Mercy Hill is al- almost three. It'd be what November, September, September tenth. Um, what has been one of God's uh, blessings, which has stood out to you most since that launch date, if you will, to to, to today? Man, I, and I know, right? We can sit here and recount the ways, but just oh, curious, yeah, like, is there one which surprises you the most? Um. So I mean I, th- I think one is the Lord's kindness to our congregation and growth, mm-hmm. um, and, and I'm bringing this one up first because I don't think it's the the one that's most important to me. But I still am grateful to the Lord for how this uh, for how this congregation has grown numerically. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I had the I had the opportunity yesterday to sit around with um, some people who were interested in our congregation. I told them about the fellowship that's here, mm-hmm. um, and I and, and as I told them about the I said when you come to a men's function or a women's function or whatever it is, you are going to fellowship around Christ. Um, and I remember like, and I, I knew like as I said that, that's what every pastor says, hmm. right? People say, oh no, you're going to have great fellowship around here. You're going to have good conversation about the gospel and 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 things of that nature. Um, but I don't lie when I say that. Um, there, there. I can't think of a single event that we have done, and by event I mean just like a gathering Certainly. of men or women or whatever right. it may be. Um, the saints here love Jesus, and um, that's the greatest joy that I think we've seen. And that, you know, that's the fruit of that or where that came from is just saying we're going to do four things well. Mm-hmm. We're going to do four things well, mm-hmm. and um, and so that's my greatest joy is that I don't have to lie to people when I say that our fellowship is genuinely right. around Christ. Right. Um, do you know what the phrase navel gazing means? <laughs> no, I don't. Okay, it, it means, um, so you're going to learn something. <laughs> uh, excessive contemplation of oneself. Okay. Um, so speaking of navels. Yeah. Um, did Adam and Eve have belly buttons? No. Which is interesting because Ken Ham in Answers in Genesis <laughs> also says no, they didn't. Yeah, of course they did. But interestingly enough, he also believes dinosaurs were on the ark. Yeah. So, were dinosaurs on the ark? Of course. Okay. Um, do you and Beth have children? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, Beth and I have uh, have children. We have Rowan. Rowan is two. 
uh, right now, and she is uh, wonderful. Um, have you discussed a trajectory about how many? If you could determine, right? So if I like free from Beth, if I could determine, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to hear like your side, and then maybe maybe what what you're negotiating. Yeah. So Beth Beth doesn't know herself as well as I know her. Mm-hmm. So Beth's like three. Mm-hmm. But the issue is, so we 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 adopt, right? So we right. get phone calls that say, "Hey, will you take this child?" Beth's never gonna say no, right? And so I I'm like, I don't know. We have, right now we have two bedrooms, so to me that means we can have at least four. Yeah. Um, and I'm willing to upgrade. Nice. So I, arrows, bro. Yeah. So you mentioned the word adoption, and I was thinking, yeah. well, because my next question is, what does adoption teach us about the family of God? And I know you can go, because I've read your blog before, and or when you were blogging, yeah. you had an article out there, I think, on adoption. Yeah, I did. So just maybe one one thing that just stands out to you most, that your experience with an adoption, yeah. knowing the truth of the Scriptures, what does what does that you know experience yeah. and even that truth right teach us about the family of God? Yeah. So when we finalized Rowan's adoption, I actually wrote another blog. I don't know if you had read that one. Okay. Um, but a couple of things. Number one, uh, genetics is totally irrelevant. Right. In, inside of, I would argue the family in general, but also inside the family of God, and I think that's a lovely thing. Um, no one, uh, when people ask, for instance, you ask, "Do I have any children?" I don't specify adopted or not because it's irrelevant, mm-hmm. right? I have I have a daughter. Her name is Rowan. Um, but a couple of things that it does that that the shadow right of adoption teaches us about the substance of, of adoption being born into the family of God. Um, number one, I think it teaches us um, it teaches us of adoption is according to J.I. Packer the highest privilege of the gospel. Mm-hmm. That when I'm adopted into the Lord's family, that means that I bear His name. Mm-hmm. That means that I have, as Ephesians one would say, that I have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Not because I've earned them, but because I'm adopted into the family of the one who owns them. Right. And uh, and so those are, those are two things that that you see in similarity. But I actually think the way we see it best is in the discontinuity. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a moment that I did not know my daughter. Um, I did not know her name. Mm-hmm. She was actually going through um, abuse and neglect, mm-hmm. um, and I, I did not know about it. And so those things uh, are incredibly painful for me, but at the same time, they remind me that um, that, that has never been the case mm-hmm. in my life. Right. My father, who adopted me into his family, mm-hmm. knew me before the foundation of the world. Right. He knew my name. Right. He knew everything about me. Um, and his love was on me before mm-hmm. I knew him. Mm-hmm. And so there, there's a couple of maybe smaller things. I can talk about adoption for a hot minute. So, Well, that's why I wanted to limit you to yeah. one because I, I know that's uh, you're passionate. Answer me this. If one of your children was to ask you about Santa being real, regardless of age, would you answer truthfully? Yes. Okay. Um, so moving on, shifting gears here. Um, are you a Calvinist? I am. Uh, all five points. Yes. Okay. Um, That's I'm it. Gonna, I'm going to read an excerpt from okay. John Piper. So okay. maybe kind of a John Piper, do you affirm type, yeah. you know, question for you. When John Piper says he is a seven point Calvinist, he does so <laughs> half jokingly and half seriously. Historically, there are five points of Calvinism, not seven. Piper is said to not be seeking to add two more points, but is simply calling attention to his belief in the traditional five, which are 
total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and the perseverance of the saints. In a way, that also points toward two additional Calvinistic truths that follow from them, which are the two that Piper likes to include, double predict excuse me, double predestination and the best of all possible worlds. Thoughts on that? So I, uh, double predestination is a reasonable conclusion. Uh, I, I would argue for a double predestination, but I would not argue for what's known as equal ultimacy. So equal ultimacy is the idea that God's election that he has for uh, the elect, the children of God, mm-hmm. um, that his election is the uh, for the for the elect is the same as for the reprobate. So every action he takes for the elect, he also takes for the reprobate right. to keep them out. Right. Which I think is foolishness altogether. Okay. Um, but I, I don't I don't believe that Piper holds that view. I know R. C. Sproul d- didn't either. Um, equal ultimacy to me is an unnecessary event. And the best possible of all worlds. I mean, and I think the argument there is that if we take a. a if we step back and see God's full revelation yeah. and what he's bringing to an end, that, that, that that's where Piper's coming from. Yeah, and I think just on that, it can be given toward open theism. Certainly. Um, and that's, that's not what Piper's saying. Right. But when God decreed, um, and I would argue for a singular decree right. of creation, that when he decreed everything was set into motion, and he has made sure that everything from the vast, the biggest event mm-hmm. to the most minor ha- is, is predestined. Mm-hmm. Um, and those will result in the utmost praise, glory, and honor of Christ. Right. right. Yeah. Um, what is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. Preach. Um, so I'm going to read just an excerpt. And, and this really comes from R.C. Sproul. Um, and I, I just want to get your thoughts on it. The third chapter of the Westminster Confession begins with these words, God from all eternity did by most wise and holy counsel of his own will freely and immutably, that is without possibility of changing it, God did freely and immutably ordain whatsoever comes to pass. Mm. Do you believe that statement? Absolutely. Would you also agree with, if you don't believe this statement, you understand that fundamentally at the bottom line, you're an atheist. Mm. And, and I'll, I'll add the commentary. This statement here distinguishes theist from atheist. If there's anything that happens in this world outside mm. the foreordination of God, that is if there's that, that if there's no sense in which God is ordaining whatsoever comes to pass, then at whatever point something happens outside the foreordination of God, it is therefore happening outside the sovereignty of God affirmed yeah tell me why that's so important for believers to hold true well it's so important because if you don't have a god who is god then you don't have a god Mm -hmm. um and so and i and i I, you i've told you this story before but i'll never forget a man telling me that what was occurring in my life as i was diagnosed with cancer was outside the will of god for my life Mm -hmm. and i immediately began to deconstruct christendom right because christendom if we understand the Bible accurately, demands a God who is indeed God. Right. And anything that is outside of his control, therefore, is superior to him. Mm-hmm. And you've heard that you've heard the saying, can God make a rock so big that he can't move it? The answer is no. Like, right. I don't know why we, we have difficulty right. answering that question, because right. then it's outside of his sovereignty. That's right. There is nothing that is outside of his mm-hmm. sovereignty. Mm-hmm. So I'll finish our time by reading, uh, reading Acts 17, uh, 26 through 27. Okay. Um, which part of that verse was 
kind of what propelled me to think yeah. through, right? How has God used all that he has ordained in your life to mold and make and shape you into who you are? So the, the, the totality of the, of the thought that, that Paul is writing is, is, is set here. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is, not, he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. So I want to thank Pastor Lawson for sharing and recounting all that the Lord has ordained to come to pass in his life, my brother and my friend. Godspeed.